Welcome to Craig's Colorado Corner, taking on the toughest issues of our times, cornering the Colorado market on political and legal conversations. Craig Silverman, former Denver prosecutor, sets the table for smart panelists. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig's Colorado Corner. Man, oh man, happy Monday. Craig's Colorado Corner is open. The freshest podcast in all of Colorado. It's a panel show this week featuring Jordan Hedberg, the editor, publisher of the Wet Mountain Tribune in Westcliff, Colorado. He's a little bit country. And then we have Marty Lenz. He is the ace morning reporter, Colorado Morning News, 850 KOA, the flagship station of the Broncos, of the Buffs. We analyze the Broncos' loss to the Raiders. We celebrate the Buffaloes' victory, and I tout them to maybe be national champion. Let me tell you, this episode is brought to you by the Tom Overton Law Firm. You heard Tom a few episodes ago. He wants to support causes like this. If you'd like to, we have sponsorship opportunities available. Get a hold of me. Here's the goal, to put on the best panel show in Colorado, talking about Colorado issues, and especially MAGA versus anti-MAGA. Now, Marty Lenz has a unique position at KOA, where they have a lot of talk shows. Marty does something different. Out in Custer County, the politics are a lot different, and Jordan has his competition in the Sangre de Cristo area, and they are conservative. Yet these guys are conservative. Both of them played football. We start off talking about football, but then we turn to politics. And I think you are going to enjoy this discussion. We praise Kyle Clark, who took on Jimmy Graham in a very interesting interview that I described. Jimmy Graham, the head of Abel Shepard, a group that teaches law enforcement about how to use firearms and defend against mass casualty events. Some people say they are a militia. They interrupted the Douglas County Pride Fest, and it caused quite a stir and a disruption of a drag show that parents wanted to take their kids to. Why did they want to go? I don't know. But they have that right in America, and I don't like people stepping in front of me and my kids. I'm glad I wasn't there, but I'm glad that Kyle Clark takes these people on. That's what... Jordan Hedberg does in Custer County. And Marty Lenz, wait till you hear him stand up. Marty Lenz, who played football at CSU, really shows how tough and smart he is in this exceptional interview. Thanks, Tom Overton, for sponsoring this special episode 169. It's Craig's Colorado Corner, where we corner the market on fresh discussion of the biggest stories in Colorado and America. Enjoy. Tom Overton is a great lawyer, and he may be right for your needs. If you need a lawyer in a business divorce, you cannot do better than Tom Overton. If you need a lawyer in a professional dispute, Tom Overton. Give out your number, give out your website. People want to talk to you. Thank you, Craig. Our website is 
overtonlawfirm.com. My email is tom.overton at overtonlawfirm.com. And our number is 303-832-9249. Tom Overton. He just gets the job done. I am so excited for this edition of Craig's Colorado Corner because I have Marty Lenz. I listened to him and Gina Gondek on 850 KOA almost every day. Sometimes I get tired of the commercials, but I never get tired of Marty. And then there's Jordan Hedberg. And I can't say I read the White Mountain Tribune every day, but I read his Twitter. I read Marty's too. Anyway, we have a couple of journalists, and I think they're great. They're both Colorado guys. One of them's a little bit country. The other one's a little bit city, but they might confuse you. Let's do a little bit of an intro because I know uh, a bit more about Jordan. He's been a guest on the big show, and I know he lives in Westcliff, which is pretty darn uh, country, Custer County, but he lived in Boulder for a while. How do you identify yourself? Are you a city slicker or a country dude, Jordan? I grew up rural agriculture. We still run beef. So um, even in Boulder County, we were up in the mountains up by Gold Hill. So I always had a rural bent. Fantastic. And without a doubt, you consider yourself a journalist. Am I right? Mm, maybe a publisher historian that does some writing on the side. Okay, good. I'm glad you corrected me. What about you, Marty? How do you describe yourself? Give your Colorado bona fides. Well, I'm I'm a kid that just grew up in the Burbs. I grew up in Littleton, uh, went to Columbine High School back in the 80s, and then matriculated up north to Fort Collins at uh, Colorado State University. And probably like a lot of Coloradans, I mean, I, I'm a transplant. We moved here in the uh, early to mid-70s because of my dad's career, originally from the East Coast, well, the Rust Belt, kind of Pittsburgh in that area. But I grew up here in Colorado my whole life. Was lucky enough to move around, live other places, but moved back home about six years ago to work on KOA. But I guess I would call myself city, but more, you know, burb, suburban like that. I didn't grow up in downtown, but obviously I'm adjacent to it and, you know, spent a lot of time in the city as a kid growing up. And and Marty, what would you call yourself in the media world? Are you more of a reporter, journalist? How would you describe yourself? Just a radio star? <laughs> I, I I mean I don't I don't consider myself necessarily a journalist. I I like to think I ask questions maybe of journalists. I, I guess I have the old style definition of my head: a journalist that does real deep dive, investigative, more or less writing about things that brings out some truths and facts. And I get to ask some questions. I just like to think I'm somebody who's curious and asks questions. If, I mean, if I'm if I'm put in the in the journalist camp, I'm proud to say that because a lot of times that term kind of comes with a pejorative now. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just I just think I'm naturally curious and I'm 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 thrilled that I feel like I have a seat at the table and get to ask uh, people that are in control of things, whether it's leadership in government or business or or apparatus that that if you want to say kind of moves and shakes what many of us do in life. I'm, I'm glad I'm, I have access to them to ask them questions about about those things. And I'd like to think I advocate for for people that maybe have the same questions, but don't have the platform or the voice that I have to do so. Well, you guys are the news, right? Because people out in Westcliff depend on Jordan for their news. And a lot of people in Westcliff depend on you, Marty, because KOA is big reach. 
Everybody listens to Colorado Morning News. If there's an emergency, people go to KOA, but let's not bury the lead. We're going to be on bright and early talking about the Broncos and the Buffs. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. The Broncos are in my DNA from when I used to sit in the East bleachers. Back in the Mm -hmm. day, a loss like this to the Raiders, seven in a row, a home opener. Uh, Holy cow. I I would be off my rocker. I'm a little ticked off, but I didn't go, thank God. It started raining at the end. Seemed like a miserable experience. Then I turned on KOA, and I want to read a couple of quotes from Russell Wilson to my buddy Dave Logan. He said, we played a really good game. And then he said at the end, I believe we're going to be a great team. Also listen to uh, Coach Payton, who said, you know, there were some positives, et cetera. Anyway, Jordan, did this hurt you at all, or were you out there tending to your livestock? <laughs> no, I was watch- I was watching, and I played college uh, football in Monmouth, Illinois, wow. and I was an offensive lineman, so I have a, a bit of a bet here. The O-line looked really good. I think uh, Russell Wilson's like comments were spot on, but here's the thing is – Special teams makes up such a big part of the game. And why the Broncos let uh, McManus go is a little odd. And what I mean by this is it's the same problem that plagues the Rockies, which is uh, moving objects at high altitude (laughs) don't act like they do at sea level. And so you can't really blame Lutz because they brought him right up here. who's had a career at sea level. And you let McManus go. McManus had a perfect game in Jacksonville today. So why you let, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't a money thing. Why you let McManus go for whatever reason. Um, it was special teams that lost this game. I mean, that onside kick to start the beginning of the game, absolutely ridiculous. I don't know why you would start a game like that. But people forget special teams is such a big part of uh, football because in tight situations, it makes all the difference. Wow, I didn't know you played college football. I think that uh, special teams analysis is spot on. What is Lutz's first name? Must start with a K. What is it? We don't remember. Well, I I think his middle name starts with a K as in Klutz because you don't miss miss an extra point at any altitude. Your first kick and that, uh, you know, that onside kick i agree with you and if you're going to do the onside kick don't commit a penalty right there were too many penalties but uh what about you marty can you talk about this i don't want to get you fired or anything no it's it's okay it's funny and jordan may not know this you may not know this is craig but i played football at colorado state so so i i played i played wide receiver and I think a lot of what Jordan says makes sense. There was, you know, the line play was a little sometimes tough to watch, I, but I'll, I'm going to take a little countervailing uh, thought with this against you two when it comes to the onside kick. Even though it wasn't successful, and yeah, even though, and I forget who it was, they touched the ball before it got to 10 yards. What I liked about it to me, it was Sean Payton setting a tone, which he's done mm-hmm. with all of camp, with how he's handling things now with the media apparatus, even regarding to us, KOA, a media partner. It's a whole new 
it's a whole new mindset. It's a whole new leadership, almost the whole thing, new sheriff in town. The only thing I will say, it was not successful. And yes, it led to Raiders points. And you could point to that and say that in the end, maybe was part of what hurt them. But I like the fact that they set a new team saying, no, we're doing something different here. So at least from that, it got me a little excited to think, wow, that's a pretty ballsy or gutsy move to do. And yes, it has a high rate of failure. And yes, you could say it failed there, but I like it was kind of a kind of a tone setter just from a 50,000 foot level. When you hold the team to only 17 points in the NFL, you should win most of those games. Your average NFL sure, offense sure. Should, should be able to score 21 points. And that's the thing that has hurt the Broncos. Their offense has been average to below average. I saw good things in this last game, but there's still a couple things that the Broncos offense is missing on. I saw improvement, but it's still not where it needs to be to be a, a serious playoff team in the NFL. That won't get me fired. I, I guarantee you, my colleague <laughs> Dave Logan, everybody else that, you know, worth their mind to salt that covers the team more closely than I do would have the same assessment. You only give up 16, you know, 17 points. You should win that football game. Yeah, the defense played excellent. And again, it just comes down to the importance of special teams. And I think that often gets lost. Uh, O-lines and special teams, So, but I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, Singleton was flying around the field. It seems like the same old Russell Wilson. Every pass about five yards. Hell, I could throw passes like that stuff. And then it's just Sean Payton. Call me old-fashioned. I approached the game not as a player. I was a little too smart to play football. I played basketball. so, But the, I, I, I'm i a fan, and I'm thinking about the fan experience, and it could not have been great. And every cutaway shot is some Raider fan going wild in grandma's face. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I'm thinking, how how fun can this be? I, I gave up my season tickets a few years ago, and and it just doesn't make me miss it on a day like this. And what they spend a hundred million on stadium improvements, and maybe they're nice, but Brandon McManus would be nicer. He kicked for Jacksonville yep. today, four for four on extra points, one field goal attempt from forty-five, nailed it. Of course, I mean yep. the guy was good. And he was a connection back to the Super Bowl championship team. Even looking in the owner's box, I'm thinking, who are these people? You know what I mean? I've heard of Condoleezza Rice. We're going to get around to politics. But I'm like, how is this Denver? Sean Payton's New Orleans. I'm a Denver guy. Give me Denver. Remember John Elway? He kind of was Denver. Well, I I always, I really couldn't stand uh, Peyton Manning. Because Peyton Manning had kept the Broncos out of um, how many years did we lose to the whole different deal? Yeah. So, but the thing is, when he came onto the team, I mean, I'm glad that he won us some championships. So, man, it was hard for me to get around that as a. Yeah, but Elway was, I just want to push back. And the one thing about Peyton Manning, and I was working in your building, Marty, then, and I was at that press conference, got to ask him Mm -hmm. a question. In fact, I think I asked Elway, hey, what's going to happen to uh, Tim Tebow? And he said, well, you know, he'd be a great guy for my daughter to marry. You can look up that soundbite. It's still out there. (laughs) But the thing I love about Peyton Manning is he not only came to Colorado and won a championship, he stayed here. He's Colorado through and through. I'm not sure oh, he's I done a great job. I'm not sure yeah. I see that in Sean Payton. He's going to have to show me something more than I saw today. He's holding up that menu like he said, Sam's number three. 
I mean, I, I, I don't know. And he doesn't seem that upset. And if you have, what's he making, $30 million a year? I wouldn't be that upset either. Well, and I'll say this, though, Craig. I think that's why Sean Payton does get the money, because you don't – you take it in one – it's the old cliche that Jordan knows this all the time. It's one play at a time, one game at a time. Yep. You never get too excited or too depressed about the game. I mean, let's face it. Say the Broncos win this 1917. I mean, I'm sure there's people out saying, woo, Broncos are back. I'd say, yeah, it's one small sample size. You saw some good things, but there's still plenty to work on. And, and you yep. could still, even if the Broncos win this game, I could probably just being hypercritical, find more negative things on it than positive. Say the score was just a little more in, in the Broncos favor. But having said mm. that, there's things about the Broncos I see better. I do see improvement and better play from Russell Wilson, and that does come from coaching in Sean Payton because he had a similar quarterback in Drew Brees. Smallish, move the pocket, really good arm, but you got to work to get him open in spaces. I saw a lot of that, and I'm good. I just didn't see the actual production in points. I saw movement, though. I saw efficiencies, but you still got to be able to put the points. That's you know how we're measured. We're measured on wins and losses. So I like the improvement, but I, I would I would like to think that this is going to translate to wins. But having said that, maybe that's why Peyton's not that upset. He's like, okay, we got it. We're going. We know what we can do. And and I give credit to the credit to the Raiders. Jimmy Garoppolo has always been a very serviceable quarterback. I saw a stat where yes. he's yes. he's won forty eight of his first fifty eight or you know forty one of his first fifty eight starts. That puts him in the yeah. same category, I think, as Tom Brady or somebody else. So it's like, oh, so he's in here with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. He's not a bad quarterback and does a good job. And and they had a decent game plan to maximize what they had by running and controlling the ball and limiting what the Broncos could possibly do well. So, I mean, you sometimes got to look at the other side and tip your hat and say, you just had a better game plan today. Absolutely. And the other thing about I mean, Garoppolo is a great quarterback. I'm glad to see him playing again. And the other thing is, is that how many sacks did uh, Wilson have? I, I only saw one play where it was really bad from a sack. No, there so were again, there I, were a lot of there were a lot of breakdowns, especially with how much they're hurries. playing the line. Yeah. There were some hurries, but I didn't see what I saw last year is where, you know, one of the problems that Wilson had is he could never think. Mm -hmm. And the O line just fell apart every single play almost it was. And today I actually saw some O line stuff where they could start to make some plays, get some first downs. I mean, last year the Broncos could barely get a first down I know. a touchdown. So there because to me it's a huge improvement over last year. But again, special teams, again, you know, sometimes you'll improve your O-line and all this stuff. But if you forget about special teams, you know, it, it, they all have to work together. I'm thinking we could work together because, no, I didn't play tackle football, but I played a lot of lawyers league football. And, <laughs> and I, was, I was a quarterback and you got I got a wide receiver in Marty. I got my lineman right there in Jordan. And I've got the solution for the Broncos. If they could have brought him in late in the game, Shadur Sanders could have won that game. Let's just turn to the buffs. KOA has got the buffs. And I have to say, growing up as a Colorado boy, I always have rooted for a CU. I went to CU Law School, endured the Fairbanks yep. era, but they're almost as much in my blood as the Broncos what about you, uh, Marty? You want to CSU, but do you have some boulder in your blood? <laughs> I got to tell you, man, two things come to mind. It pains the living hell out of me to to to, to see this, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I have no animus towards the university or to the football program. It's to some degree with with the CU fans, and that's that's probably a whole different 
if you want to say psychological discussion, we'd have it another time. Uh, but I mean, uh, the one thing I will say, the positive, it makes college football exciting again around here. I mean, there was a time when C was good and CSU was good and Air Force, I'll give them credit, has always been probably by far the most consistent program, at least over the last two decades. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes it makes college football fun when when the local schools are are relevant. And I said this, you know, they hired Deion Sanders. I said at the very least, I said, well, they're winning the hype game and they're winning the press conference and they're winning the monies and that the investment, even though people say, wow, you're paying Dion X amount of money. It's the same cliche. They say, well, why is Nick Saban make 10 million in Alabama? And I said, because he brings in 100 million to the university. That's an easy investment. Mm-hmm. Deion Sanders, just based on his hiring, the tickets are sold out. The merchandise is selling. The excitement is there. The viewership is going to be up. So Deion Sanders has paid his own salary. So when people poo-poo college sports and the expenses, and yes, we can debate the merits of the priorities. Should it go here? Should it go there? And I always say this respectfully as a liberal arts major. Well, if my department of liberal arts could bring in $50 million, then maybe they'd pay their professors a million dollars. I mean, <laughs> so you, you do have to look at the economics of it. And again, that's, I'm probably conflating things here because we can talk about the value of the education, our kids going to school, the NIL. But bottom line, what you're asking, Craig, is, yeah, being KOA and we're the flagship station, it definitely doesn't hurt us. We know more people are going to be tuning in, more interested. You probably saw the news game day is going to be in Boulder for the Colorado-Colorado State game, which is great. It's the Rocky Mountain Showdown. It's in Boulder. And game day is going to be there, which is the biggest pregame show in college football. I'm going to be there all day mm-hmm. for the game. And that is and that's part and parcel. Yeah, that's part and parcel because of CU's first two wins by virtue of that. And you was having a coach Sanders. Oh, come so on, you Marty. Got to, you got to this thing to Don't be that. modest. It's it's so, it's about CSU, right? They would bring yeah, in there. Right? Love, love, love those Rammies. I say love that, to think that for Susie Wardgen <laughs> has been a yes. guest on the show. Jim Beneman. We love yeah. the Rams, but they're a twenty-one point dog. And I think yep. I'm going to lay the three touchdowns because <laughs> Dion doesn't let up. And that second team, I, I mean, Dion is a phenomenon. Joel Klatt, when he was asked, you know, what I think the comment was made, that's the biggest story in, in college sports. And he said, no, it's the biggest story in sports. And I'm thinking it might be even the biggest story, one of the big stories in the country right now, because Dion has made some statements that lead me to believe that he's got some larger ambitions. He's kind of transcend sports. But Jordan, how does it feel down at Westcliff? And tell everybody about your Boulder days. Did you ever go down to Folsom Field to watch games? Oh, yeah. But, you know, so it, you know, CU runs in my – so I've always been a bus fan, despite me how painful that it has been, particularly in football. And uh, there was a long period where basketball was horrific to watch. But – my grandmother was a professor at uh, CU and helped start the speech pathology program at uh, Denver. It was Denver, CU, Denver campus uh, years ago. So we used to do all that. But, you know, getting back to Marty's point is, A, they got the marketing here and he's already paid his salary. I mean, even somebody like Dan Nathan, who runs a podcast called uh, um, On the Tape, which is a big, you know, mucky muck uh, Wall Street trading thing came out here just to watch the game this last weekend and then went to the Broncos game after that, you know, so it's, it's definitely, and it's on, I just noticed it's uh Deion Sanders interviewed and they're going to be on uh, 60 minutes uh, next week. So he's definitely paid his salary and I'm a liberal arts major as well. And I got to say, you know, anything you could do to keep those programs going is yes. huge because uh, liberal arts uh, 
I was a history major. I double majored in history and, and finance. But when you look at my degree, it just says Bachelor of the Arts. And um, something like there's been a nine or eighty percent drop in history majors since 2005. And so anything you can do to like help colleges to get some of that funding coming back this direction, colleges are under pressure. And CU is just very lucky that they they made the decision they had. And again, with the O-line, Sanders is no fool. I listened in to 850 KOA on my phone because it was interesting to listen to the other day. And um, the O-line played excellent. And uh, that's always been one of their biggest problems. So it allows the high flyers to actually do that. And Sanders, you know, definitely has really focused on that. It's it's startling how good this team is and how exciting the players are. And really watching the Broncos Raiders, it was like it was boring compared to watching yeah. the CU. In comparison, yeah. It just <laughs> it wasn't exciting because they've got no place to go. Let me give you a pro tip. Do you guys bet on the games? Because I do. I don't. I just don't. I, I, if, if I were going to bet on the games, I just might as well roll down my window and throw out a couple bucks to the <laughs> to the local squirrel running by. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't gamble and do that. I just don't feel the incentive, and I just feel like I'd rather waste my money on, you know, I'd rather buy another six pack of beer probably than throw it out the window. So, <laughs> right, right. I, I've got, I've got my vices as well, and, and sports betting isn't one of them. That said, I did join a fantasy uh, team for the first time, and probably over a decade with a high school friends. So that does give it a little bit more interest. And I did get the Denver. I got the Denver D and they played well today. Well, there you go. You got that slight thrill. You guys know it's legal now. And uh, I'm just putting it out there that (laughs) CU might win the national championship. Can you conceive of that? Why, why do you not conceive of it? I'll let Marty go first. <laughs> well, I, I mean, well, a couple things. First off, we we talked about with the Broncos one game. It's a small sample size. I, I a couple things. Wait, Nebraska is not what Nebraska used to be. TCU has regressed to the mean, and I'm not saying both those programs maybe won't have winning records. So I'm not trying to besmirch what CU's done. You got to win the games that are in front of you. Again, a rivalry game come up, and I, I put my praise out there to the great Allah, Yahweh, God, whoever, my father who's up in heaven. See, Jad, can you I'm do me a solid saying, get the ring? Uh, I'm not but, saying but, they're but, favorites, yeah. <laughs> no, but but my point is this. They have SC, they have Oregon, they have what remains of the Pac-12 schedule. Right. I, I just think it's right. a pretty daunting task I know. to think that they'll I run, know, they'll run what, the table. Well, That's well, all. Would, it, if, 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 would you wager $5? And and what would you want in return for that? Say well, it's, the old, it's the old it's the old bet. Would you take C or take the field? Well, I take the field because, because <laughs> no, no, but, but, got, hey, but what if I told you first. what if I told you you can for your five dollars you can get not one hundred dollars back, not two hundred dollars uh, back, not three hundred dollars back, not four hundred dollars <laughs> back. <laughs> Not $500 back, but at FanDuel today, even after they slaughtered Nebraska, you can get $600 back for your $5 wager. Now, to me, that's just a good investment. What, Jordan? Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. No, you're not wrong. Okay, so one of the biggest things in my life, I was a, a briefly a broker at Charles Schwab there in Denver, and uh, I've always been a, a big student of a, a former options trader. Uh, named Nassim Taleb. And at some point, 
if the option's cheap enough, then you uh, then you right. take it, right? Right. Uh, you know, so if you you could show, you could do five dollars for six. I would started done it two weeks ago. It was even better. It was like ten thousand one. All I'm saying, you guys played football. That's the first time these guys have played together, and look what they've done. And once I Marty, maybe they'll get by at CSU. They'll struggle by <laughs> somehow. And then when they beat USC, I mean, the in your voice. <laughs> when you, when, when, then when they beat USC, oh boy, game on, right? Well, if, if that happens. Uh, Right, but I'm going to back up though, and, and and take the the if you want to say the betting side of it. it. What what Dion is doing? It's a very interesting experiment. Is it's it's the question: What wins your games? Is it the X's and O's, or is it the J's and Joes? Well, I would say it's a combination of both. But look, when people poo-poo what Deion Sanders did by basically ridding themselves of what they had at CU, and I feel bad for the young people that have scholarships, not that they won't have other opportunities elsewhere, but that's hard to do. But this is the current reality of college sports. He'd reshaped the roster. He had to. And now you're sitting there saying, well, everybody that looked at Deion and say, oh, that's such a bad thing. Now they're all calculating and calibrating and saying, wait a second, this is the new normal. Maybe this is what you do. you got to reshape it. you got to make those changes. Players, well, coaches have always been fluid. They can come and go as they please. Players now have that more of that fluidity, fluidity and option to do that. But that also comes with the ability to coaches come in and cut you off the, off the, off the thing as well. So I mean, there's there's some goods and positives with the new transactional part of of college football. But having said that, I think what Dion is doing and what frustrates a lot of the, I'm going to say traditionalists is, is he's basically throwing that at the wall, saying, "Yeah, you know what? I'll come in and I'm going to do it my way." And at least thus far, again, small sample size, it's two. Two wins, but two pretty good wins. Once against a, a rival that they they perceive in Nebraska, mm-hmm. and another against TCU that was in the national title game last year. And you sit there and say, "Well, wait a second. Is Dion's philosophy maybe not a good philosophy? Does does that make him better or worse?" And it's probably not a fair comparison against the Nick Saban, who's won seven national titles, but saying there's an old school guy. This is the new school, and maybe the new school way of thought. Though we have this interesting to love what's bright, shiny, and new. But thus far, I could point to what Dion's done. I could point to what Texas State. Did they beat mm-hmm. Baylor last week? Same thing, reshaped the roster they lost yesterday. But I could say maybe that's the way that a lot of colleges will see this now, saying, Hey, if we do this reshape and get the right guys, coaching began. If you get the right guy, whether or not, and I'm not saying Dion doesn't know the X's and O's, he's smart enough to get the right guys that know him, and I'm sure he knows plenty too, that they'd say that's the new way of college football, of saying we just reshape and redo this. So what you're seeing is a real philosophical if you want to say battle of, of the traditional side of how college football was done for years. And you could say arguably with great success versus what the new version of that is what I find a more compelling storyline with this, watching how, how people like Deion Sanders and others that maybe do that same thing, move forward with this. Gosh, yeah, it's, like, it's kind yeah. of the new money ball. It's sort of the yeah. new, you know, I make the comparison is, is Billy Bean and uh, you know, Michael Lewis and the money ball thing, which is yep. how do you stand this on its head in a different way? Um, from a team that doesn't have a tradition of being able to compete. I mean, the fact that they beat, you know, TCU is, you know, phenomenal. So. And, right, in Texas. But I think it's bigger than that. I, I love the money ball stuff and all of that. Football comes down to this, and I watched a lot of it. Who's bigger? Who's stronger? Who's faster? And then add in who's better coached. Gosh, CU has been well coached lately. And Nebraska, they had some big fellas, some big corn-fed linemen. And for a while there was a struggle, but CU managed to prevail, and they outsmarted them. But I'm getting back to Shadur because I've seen a lot of college quarterbacks 
come and go. Honestly, he throws the ball better than Russell Wilson, and I'm not putting down Russell Wilson. I just like Shadur, his composure. He's thrown for 900 yards, and it's not just mm-hmm. bringing in Billy Bean Moneyball, you know, strangers. It's a family thing. It's not just Shiloh and Shadur. He's got Travis Hunter, who's like his son. He's got Dylan Edwards. All of a sudden, Xavier Weaver is going to be an unbelievable superstar. I've never seen a team come out of the gate with this much talent. It's got to be exciting, Marty, to have CU so affiliated with KOA. Sure, sure, Craig, it is. Uh, <laughs> everybody that's not a CSU guy. No, but, but, but to your point, though, but I'll say this about Shadir Sanders. Look, the kid's been under the spotlight his whole life because his father great, great, craves the spotlight, and the spotlight is drawn to his dad. So the fact that, that if you want to say he doesn't wilt under the pressure because he's been used to it, then the fact that he goes out and produces and shows, and yes, he's a high-skill guy. I mean, he would have – you remember him and, and was it Travis Hunter? They were slated to go to – well, Travis Hunter definitely was going to go to Florida State, and then Dion flipped him to go to the historic HBCU in Jackson State. So that says a lot about Dion Sanders as well, saying, wait, kid – you know, you, there's many different paths to the pros. You don't have to go to a traditional power like Florida State or Alabama or pick your school. You can come here and play at CU or wherever, and I can still get you where to go. And the reason Dion can say that is because he's been there and done that. I mean, he played at Florida State, but he's he's shown that he understands the process and the path. And that goes a long way with kids that have those aspirations and have those talents. But there's there's no doubt if you believe if you believe in the gene pool, Dion's boys are just extremely very, very talented, very talented. And again, I think if you're a D coordinator on, on any of these teams that are coming up, you do look and say, well, how do we show, slow down Shadur Sanders? Because he's the guy that makes it work. He can, to your point, Craig, it looks like he can make all the throws. And it's beyond the throws. He makes good decisions. Yes. And, and and that's the thing. The best quarterbacks aren't the one with the best arm. Joe Montana didn't have the best arm, but he made the best decisions. It's the people that make mm-hmm. the best decisions in that position. And so far, Sanders has shown in two games, again, I keep saying small sample size, he's made really good decisions. Also helps when you have great decisions that are out there that are elite athletes that run four twos and you know yes. can break away from other players. So And who love the coach like a father. Let's get a little political, yes. but let's hinge off Dion and throw it to you, Jordan, because I went out to Westcliff. God, you should see his property out there. And he told me it looks like the Tetons, and it kind of does. But it's different mm-hmm. out there, and there are a lot of people who support Donald Trump out there. And go back to my episode 158. I had Brad Onishian, who was uh, an evangelical minister out of Orange County, and he talked about he's got a podcast, Great White Jesus Podcast, and he talks about uh, how evangelicals, uh, white Christian nationalists, are really posing problems. Now, to turn it back to Dion, I heard him say after the first game at his press conference at TCU, he said, you know, they're not used to looking at people like me and my staff coming down the hall. I'm a confident black man, and I'm in charge of this organization, and they're seeing that in Boulder, and they're seeing that. And he's trying to make a statement, plus he's got that big cross around his neck. And, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. a Christian, and I'm thinking, gosh, this is the kind of Christianity that I fell in love with, you know, as an outsider, the one that is confident, that is family-oriented, and that isn't bigoted in any way. And so it's just kind of refreshing 
to, to see uh, not a white Christian nationalist, but a proud black man with a cross around his neck. Jordan, what, what do you think of all of that? Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't notice uh, any of that type of stuff. What I will, what I will say is, I think you're hitting on something strong here. And um, I've listened to the last, you know, few panels that you've done here. And before we get into the politics thing, I think I kind of need to set the the stage a little bit, which is, I grew up what I would have called conservative at the time. And a, and a good friend of mine uh, recently said, I didn't walk away from the Republican Party. The Republican Party walked away from me. And her point was well taken, which is, if we really want to go back, conservatives used to stand against anything that smacked of utopian ideals. And after the USSR fell, um, something kind of snapped. And I've always said for quite a few years here is that anything that smacks of the, the right wing or republicanism got bit by the utopian bug. Somehow, conservatives that always stood against utopians uh, or any idea of them going all the way back to Edmund Burke in England, who was kind of considered the first conservative, they all of a sudden decided, hey, we could take American Christian national um, capitalism and spread it across the world. And we'll do it by military force if we have to. And we're still living in this world right now where people that used to be conservatives uh, or still are conservatives can't identify with their party anymore because their party has got the most extreme utopian elements about them. Just do what I say. Everybody's armed with an AR-15. We get rid of the government and we'll all just enter into a utopia. That's what's happened. And it's not even so much a Christian thing anymore is that it's a, it's an apocalyptic millenarian um, ideological thing that invaded a party that used to be very conservative. You are reading too and many books because those syllables, I can't even follow it. And I went to law school. I know. I know, but, but part of this conversation, we can suss it out, which is, you know, you listen to Lowen Bobart. She goes, we're in the end times here. Yes. That's millionarianism. Yes. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ. And you know what I call that? I, I call that MAGA. And to me, it just breaks yeah, down to, exactly. are you MAGA or are you anti-MAGA now? And I'm obviously anti-MAGA. And I do think white Christian nationalists are MAGA. And you're surrounded yep. by them out there in West Cliff, aren't you? But there's a split. There's a split, though. That's the thing, is, is that we're not surrounded by them. A lot of people that originally supported Donald Trump so, okay, so here's a great a little example that we have here politically. It's sort of its own little uh, case study. There was a recall against a county commissioner who was a GOP teacher, very conservative, you know, individual. Um, the recall election came up. 25% voted against him. 25, just shy of 25% voted for him. And 50% didn't vote. And the thing is, is that that allowed me to say, well, 25% of that are that MAGA population. And so even in a very conservative county, we have now split ourselves. So conservatives here don't quite know what to do anymore. So a lot of them say we're sick of all of this. So that's 50%. And then the other 25 of the community are head to head with each other. So the thing is, is MAGA used to have a, a larger base, and I think MAGA is now maybe 20% of the country, 
but the problem is, is that's still extremely powerful and extremely dangerous. If, yes. if you're over 10% as an extremist group, you've got serious problems as a society. Right. Or as a county. I bet they do listen to KOA in Custer County. But Marty, you really, oh, yes. you, Marty, you, you can't really yep. tailor your news to Custer County and cover a commissioner recall <laughs> or, I mean, they have a, no. they have an interesting well, DA there, Linda Stanley and the Morphew case. She covered that one, but it's hard to cover all the smaller counties. How do you make those decisions? And do you agree with my analysis? Take it wherever you want to go from uh, what Jordan and I were talking about. Well, a couple things leap at mind, and, I, and I'll say this: and since we're having this, I grew up Catholic, and I'm I'm a lapsed Catholic now. Which I always joke, well, if you're not a lapsed Catholic, have you ever really been Catholic? But but this is, I think, I think two things jump out at me. My opinion, obviously, there's way too much religi- religiosity into politics, and quite honestly, in all of life right now. Uh, I know we're probably going to talk about this later, but but the gentleman that Kyle Clark or Clark Kyle Clark entered, you know, he was somebody who was mm-hmm. a Navy SEAL and all this. Way too much religiosity in the military, and I'm not saying this. These are experts that I talk to that say, "Well, man, we always talk about you know folks in other countries and how when they go to war, it's a holy war." But you know, we have we have a certain amount of people with our own military that have a certain belief that like anything else when you think god is on your side you may need to reevaluate you know what your faith is and, and who your god is by thinking god takes sides necessarily in these things uh, i i find that problematic and i've referenced my point with the being catholic as somebody who grew up catholic my parents are democrats why because they were irish catholic well who was the greatest irish catholic of all time in their eyes was john f kennedy so mm-hmm. there was there was a co-opting of religion especially the catholic faith uh, when it came to abortion, that was that was one subject that could coalesce, if you want to say, Protestants and Catholics together was abortion, and that frankly was co-opted and leveraged by conservatives to get them on that side of the aisle. And then, so what you're seeing is you're seeing a a, a primordial soup of 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 religion coming in. And I push this forward by saying what you're seeing now is the outcome of religion having the seat at the table of politics. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't think you see the outcomes being good. I grew up remembering that, hey, man, a couple of things you didn't talk about. You didn't talk about politics. You didn't talk about mm-hmm. what you made at your job. Those are private things. It doesn't mean you don't hold them, but that wasn't a part of your identity everywhere you go. It wasn't your lead card. I, I know you see it too, Jordan. I know you see it, Craig. Look at people's profiles. Their lead card is I'm a Christian. God bless you for doing that. But I just remember thinking, where's the humbleness of being a servant of God? It's not that anymore. It's the Pharisee kind of thing. Well, I believe in God, and I tell God this, and I do that. The service part of, of the religion thing, I think, is somewhat lost on that. Uh, and so when, when Jordan points that out about uh, you know the religious piece and people in rural areas, and, and people live anywhere. It doesn't matter where they live necessarily, but their faith. I get a little concerned about how much religion is seeped. And I think too much of anything, too much politics isn't good, but too much religion and things is not good either. Because then you get into this tenet, well, if you don't believe, then how can we have something in common? Well, we have many other things in common just because I don't believe in your God or a God or the God or how you want to how you want to define it. And I think that's what plagues us quite a bit as well. And I see that playing out more in politics than I even see the politics. To your point, Jordan, I say this, and you know this, Craig, MAG is almost more of a faith. It's not politics. It's it a is. faith. It's a, it's a fealty. It's a fealty yep. to, to a person, not even to an ideology. And if you want to say it's an ideology, it is. It's white Christian nationalism. And that's co-opting what 
what faith is. It's taking a small sliver or taking it and bastardizing it and, and really misrepresenting it for, for leverage and for power. I find that very, very problematic. And, and especially for a country that we get sometimes so pious thinking we're better than other countries. And we sit there and say, are we? Well, look what we're doing. You could point to other countries in history that have done that and seen how that's worked out for them. And it hasn't been hasn't been all that beautiful. So to your point about covering the news, look, what I do is I try to call balls and strikes. But also you can't be afraid to upset people and piss people off. It's not my job to abuse or disabuse people of what they strongly believe, but lay out the facts. And if they have a problem with it, that's on them. And we get that from all the time. We sometimes, sometimes, and it's because of, of the hosts we've had on KOA in the past, they make my job harder because we're trying to call the balls and strikes. But when you, when you, frankly, when you carry Rush Limbaugh for 35, 40 years and, and he has a huge audience mm-hmm. and he tells people, then they believe him as gospel. And, and because, you know, he, he talks about how the media is bad and it's bias and it's this. And so I sometimes feel like in some instances we work against our audience or a greater audience, not because we try to, it's just because of what they've been told for so many years from other programs that for our four hours, it sometimes makes me very frustrated saying, hey, man, I'm not here to upset you, but here are the facts and realities. You can have your feelings. You know, a lot of these are the same people that say F your feelings. And I want to say, well, that's the problem. You feel it, but because you feel it doesn't make it reality. And so it's sometimes I find that frustrating. And so that's sometimes where we find ourselves as we put the news out there. I always tell people we have the facts, but we have the right to change them and change our opinions when new facts and information come in. That's that's how we work in this is new information comes in, we report it, we update it and give you what we currently know. We're not some cabal. We don't meet once a week. George Soros isn't funding me. You know, all those silly, dumb tropes that you get. But but it's it's kind of scary and sad. Mm. As you say, Jordan, it's 20 percent. But, you know, it is it's a very vocal minority. And that's the well, they're the ones that go out and active. It's not the people that sit back and don't. It's the ones that are active. So, well, and this is such a great conversation. So first, Craig, thanks for uh having me on and talking to Marty because that was a fantastic little um, piece that Marty just no said. Kidding. And I'm build he, a little, he blew me away. I'm gonna build on I'm gonna build on that just a little bit, which is the twenty percent is dangerous. I mean everybody thinks that the world moves forward by the majority. They don't. It's always the minority for good or for ill that move things. It's stubbornness. The most stubborn person wins or the most stubborn group group wins. And so that when I say 20 percent, I'm saying that's enough to throw elections. A lot of people say that Donald Trump's not going to win the next election. I'm sorry, I'm not 100 percent convinced of that because of the stubbornness and the near faith uh, part that has become part. No, not near. It has become a, a cult of personality around him. But I'm going to pause all that real quick because I'm, I'm privileged to talk to a last Catholic um, <laughs> and, and, and then a practicing um uh, man that does uh, a Jew, which is great. And the thing is, is that Catholicism and Judaism, uh, and I don't know what Craig practices exactly, but they don't really have this apocalyptic part of their religion. Protestantism does. And the United States is built on a Protestant background. And so the problem is, is we have this belief that the end of the world is always right around the corner. Uh, and the United States has always positioned itself in a lot of ways, saying the second coming's coming. It's it's right around the corner. If we don't do these things, uh, then we can't be ready for the end times. But the problem with end time politics is it's very convincing in the short run. The problem is, is well, why care about climate change? Because 
Jesus is coming next year. Hmm. It's, yeah. a, it's a politics of Armageddon. Yes. And once you realize, even with that, that, that meeting with Kyle Clark, is we are talking with people that have an Armageddon mindset. And that's not conservatism. That's a very religious branch of Protestantism that has been around for a while. And all of a sudden, we've got a resurge of it, you know, resurgence of it right now. And it's scary. I mean, yeah, no kidding. Will, they will be violent. They will be violent and they will be justified in their mind in their violence. I can assure you that at Beth Joseph Hebrew School, we were not taught about end times. We, it was yeah. not part of our curriculum. And I, I don't know if you learned about that, Marty, in Catholic school. You know, I, I had a law partner who was Catholic, then Dan Kaplis. He's Catholic. He didn't understand the end times. I don't think that's part of Catholic teaching, is it? No. Well, no, not, and not that I am either. I mean, you, you talk about those things, you talk about the books, but it's not, it, it's the big, the big thing about the Catholic faith is forgiveness and redemption. Right. That's what they talk mm -hmm. about. They're, they're not talking about holy wars. They're not talking. And I mean, I don't have to tell either of you if you're conversing in the Bible, abortion is never mentioned in the Bible, right. but, but you know, they can always say, well, you kill, but, but, but this is the problem with, with how you distill the teachings of Christ, and I just say this, and you know, parenthetically as well, it, it, it nothing is more galling to me as somebody who you know has a basic understanding of faith. When I see people of faith go out there and literally bear false witness on a daily basis and lie on yes. a daily basis, and most of them, and I, I will say, Jordan, they are they're they're the Protestant sect of the faith of the Christians. And I was like, do you not even read the basic tenets of the Ten Commandments? Lying is is a sin and when you out there and bear fault witness whether it's about elections whether it's about your role in the elections whether it's about how you are as a person but then you go out there and then you grift and fundraise off it you know in the name of that it is unbelievably galling and then what what take it to another level is in many of the people that are in the maga camp considering themselves christians I just sit there and say, you are lost your way, or you are so blinded by who you think this leader is. And again, you're you're paying fealty to this person. It's not about faith anymore. It's about thinking you have the supreme savior in your midst, which just isn't the case. There's just there's a real disconnect between what I perceive as, if you want to say, the faith or the teachings of God. But I understand them in my very, uh, you know, uh, uh, dilettante way versus versus right. what they perceive that they think they know, you know, by a few scriptures in the Bible. So, well, there's an old saying that comes to mind. There's an old saying comes to mind, which is atheists and religious fundamentalists both take religion just a little too seriously. <laughs> I take history, yeah. yes, I take history seriously, and and uh, <laughs> we don't have the Book of Revelations, and I, I don't think Catholics nope. do. But but the bottom line is is this that we all know what happened in uh, a Western civilized country. A hundred years ago, and it was uh, full of white Christian nationalists, right? And and they turned toward fascism, which I really didn't grasp until lately what fascism was. But it's this white Christian nationalism taken to an extreme, and part of it is the upset they feel because they may not be the majority anymore. And if they have economic problems or any kind of problems, they say it's got to be those damn people with different skin color or different religion. And that's just getting back to prime time. He says, look, I'm black and I'm proud. I'm obviously not down with uh, white nationalism. He hasn't really stated his politics. 
I don't necessarily want him to. And we're going to get to that no. topic. Who who really can speak out? I don't, you know, Marty's speaking out now. It's it's wonderful, and I hope it doesn't get him in trouble. I'm at an age where I speak out, but if I was a 40 year old lawyer in a law firm, maybe I'd be worried for my family, my mortgage, or most. A lot of people aren't in that position. Deion Sanders is kind of in that position. I interviewed Tom Asbury, who went to GW, 238 coaching wins. He said, you got to keep your politics to yourself when you're coaching because you don't want to alienate the fans, the alums, all of that. So there's only a small percentage of people who can speak out when you think about it. Am I right about that? Do you think? Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, and I'll actually bring it back really briefly to Colorado here because I'm always fascinated with the history here, which is, you know, you go back uh, even in Fremont County or Salida, which neighbors me, people forget that the Ku Klux Klan, um, as it continued to evolve, wasn't just in the South, it was against uh, anybody that was black. But for the Western United States and the Northern United States, any Klan activity was actually against Catholics. Yes. And you have to remember, and again, I grew up I had a lot of denominations that I grew up with. The majority of them were kind of a Protestant, you know, leaning. And my thing is, is if there was a um, if there was a Greek Orthodox church, you know, around here, I'd probably go to it because they sort of skipped the schism and, and the Reformation <laughs> and all that. You know, they just said, why would I even get involved? Uh, but the point is, is that I, I think that you have to the, the white nationalist thing. You have to remember, it's not just Christianity. You can't really group that. It's actually a very extreme version of Protestants, and they were the ones that originally came over here. You know, the Mayflower, all that. You had extreme Protestants where Europe's like, okay, you guys are too street for us. Please go away. And so that is our foundation for good or for ill. There's very positive sides of the Protestant tradition. You probably don't have the type of liberalism that we enjoy now without those really stubborn uh, Protestant minorities saying we're going to get rid of uh, slavery. We are going to allow women to vote. We are going to be absolutely dedicated to equality. But it also has a downside, which is that it can bring in this Armageddon, you know, millenarianism, which is saying, hey, we need to bring upon the end times and we need to do it you know, really quickly. So Colorado, People forget we had a huge, we were a huge Klan supporter because of the cattle that came up from Texas. And it, it always surprises us, right? Why do we have Rowan Bulber? Why do we have Tina Peters? Why do we have Joel Altman? We have all these crazy um, right-wingers in a, such a small state that's mostly blue at this point. And everybody's like, why is that showing up in Colorado? Well, it's because it's our, it's our history. It's our heritage of these people that came out of the South after the Civil War. And they were very anti-Catholic to the Italians and the Mexicans that were already in Pueblo. Um, It's just one of those things that I think people forget about so quickly, why we're such a hotbed for MAGA activity, even though the state is not going to vote for Donald Trump. And Craig, I'll, I'll, yeah, be, I'll be more. I'll, I'll be a little and, more and those, 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 those are Jordan's chickens in the background. Am I right? Jordan? No, I, I love that. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. I, I'm just saying uh, he's, he's not just fake country. He's real yeah. country. Right. I was going to say because because Craig, you were kind of asking about how we cover the news. We we do talk about this all the time, and that how do we cover it? We we take perspectives into it. But basically, what we came down to is this. 
we don't look to be political on Colorado's Morning News because that's really not what we're there for. But at the same time, I like to say we're not going to be patronizing other. We're not going to pat you on that and say, oh, it's okay to believe that the election was stolen because there's no evidence that it was. That, to me, I don't like to do, and I, I don't want to be patronizing to our audience. So that's not my role. My role is, again, I'm not looking to be adversarial. I'm not looking to be political. But if the facts bear out that something did not happen and those people that believe a certain thing say it does, it is my role to say, I'm sorry you're wrong. Now, whether you choose to accept it or believe it, that's on you. But don't come at me that we're somehow this outlet and we're biased and we're bought off when there's all kinds of evidence that's out there that supports what we're covering and how we cover it. And there's data and details with it. And that gets into that whole confirmation bias piece. And yeah. that's why I'm saying people don't like to have they don't like to have their strongly held beliefs challenged. And that's sometimes where we find ourselves in a position. And we're not even intending to do that. That's not our mission. We don't wake up every day and say, who are we going to make mad today by telling them the truth? <laughs> we just say, we're going to go out there and tell the truth as we know it, change the information as we get more information to update the facts as we know it. And hopefully our audience accepts that they have a choice to do what they want with it. But when they fire at us because they're getting counter information from places that I just frankly say are less than serious, they know better, but they're levering those people to take advantage for money and clicks and everything right. else. It, it makes my job – I find myself frustrated and upset, but I also realize I can't control that. So I control what we do by covering everything as factual, as honest, as straightforward as possible. And then at, that, at, at the end of the day – and I hate that saying – but at the end, you have to let the end user decide how they're going to use that, accept it, or, or not. That's up to them. Well, and Marty, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize, Marty, which is I tell people when they say I have a bias – even though I grew up conservative, they'll always yeah. label me as a communist or a liberal or whatever. Yes, yes. Uh, they will, you know, even as we're just a community newspaper, we don't have any political associations whatsoever. I always tell them, I said, I absolutely have a bias, and it's called the truth. Yeah. As a journalist, uh, you know, that's where I will put on my journalist hat, but even as a historian or anything else, I have an obligation, an ethical duty to do everything I can to find the truth. And the truth often in news and stuff takes a while to suss out, more evidence comes out, so on and so yeah. forth, just like being an attorney. But at the end of the day, my goal is we provide the truth the best we know it, that it is at that time. Right, but how yeah, many times? Truth. Here's the thing. You know, I did capitalists and Silverman, and I honestly thought that I was getting paid to – just win arguments every day. And in my mind, I won every argument, even though Dan Kaplis maybe repeated things three times to my one. As long as I got my point in there, I felt like I won. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I've come yeah. to realize that maybe that three times repetition works for some people. And the more it's said, because you know Donald Trump every day, you could come in to prepare your newscast, Marty, and he's out there telling people that the election was rigged and that mm -hmm. not only did he win Georgia, everybody knows he won. And then when you report that, do you say, and that's complete bullshit, or do you say that's a completely discredited statement? I mean, do you have to stamp it every time you play the news when he uh, repeats the lie over and over? If he says, Russia, 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 like Russia didn't try to help them uh, win in 2016 when obviously they did. Uh, help Prigozhin, that guy who just got killed, he had the Internet Research Group that was dedicated to uh, skewing social media in Trump's favor. The only issue is whether they could prove collusion. But I hear people like Kaplan say, 
I, you know, Russia didn't do anything and everything will be great in Ukraine if Trump's elected. And I don't know, I get frustrated. And let me just lay it out there. God bless you, Marty Lenz, because you are an honest voice on the radio. And if you study history, and I do, when the Third Reich took over, they took over all the radio. And you're a lone voice of reason saying, no, there, there should be a separation of church and state. This is screwing us up. And no, it was a big lie about Trump. It's not open to question. God bless you for being there, but uh, how many people like you are there, and can you can you hold the fort? Well, I mean, it's it's I, I like I said, it's it's kind of you to say, and, and to your point, it's like when you see content on Facebook, uh, there's like a disclaimer sometimes. If, they, if 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 something gets said enough, we do say, look, there's no evidence to show that. A lot of times, we'll have a story because we do report, and that's the and of course that gets to the whole point. I know we're going to talk about it. How do you cover somebody like President Trump? Well, you can not not cover him, but that doesn't mean you have to amplify his voice with everything that he says. That's called discretion. That's called being thoughtful. What is what does he say is a value that you put out, and 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 how you decide value? Saying well. It could be, you know, this or that, but but it doesn't mean just because somebody talks all the time, you have to put everything that they say out there. That's that's, a, and we've been goaded, and I'll say this, and maybe I don't know if Jordan feels this too, but for many years now, and I say this respectfully from the right side of the political aisle, and I'm not saying even the MAGA side, but in general, we in the media have been goaded to be told that there's always two sides to every story, and that's just patently false. There's just not two sides yep. to every story. There's the truth, there are the facts, then there's maybe your opinion to it. And the other myth we've gotten into is that everybody's opinion is equal, and that's patently false as well. That is not true. Uh, a simple example is this, and I know, Craig, you're a fan of, I'm a fan of, I don't know if you, Jordan, if you know who Tom Nichols is. I'm a huge fan of Tom mm -hmm. Nichols. He's an expert on Russia. I value his opinion on Russia a hell of a lot more than most of the political class that somehow thinks that there's Nazis in Ukraine. All right. So so I say his voice and knowledge base on Russia, Ukraine and that area is is better than more valuable than than certain politicians who couldn't find Ukraine on a map. But I'm saying but we're under this myth that everybody's opinion is equal. And I say this about myself. My opinion on some subjects definitely is not equal. I may ask questions, but I don't think my opinion is equal to some expert on something. Uh, you know, even if people that I don't necessarily understand politically where they're coming from and saying, well, they have a little better inner working. So I I, you know, I give them that. I just get a chance to ask questions or maybe challenge things that we understand coming from things. But, but that's part of the problem with media as well about covering it is we've been told forever that there's two sides to everything and that is just patently false. And if you go in there trying to cover this thinking, well, there's always another side, that's not true. Sometimes there's another side to it. Other times there's not. So for example, there's not two sides to gravity. There is gravity and then there's not gravity. All right. I, I mean, so so there's certain things, though, at the same time, I preface by saying I hate the term settled science because that's not true either. Science evolves. It's knowledge as we know it. And then we update the knowledge as we get more knowledge and update the facts and everything else. So I always get a little concerned with with some of my friends that are on the left when they talk about settled science. I say, well, that's not what it is. Science is always evolving. You always can learn more with certain things. So I would mm -hmm. I, I would always I'm always careful with using you know, those terms. So so when we cover the news, a lot of times if something is said that is just, you know, egregious and wrong, we by saying there's no evidence of so and so or whatever that is. And I've had to have those conversations. Look, I've interviewed Congressman Ken Buck a few times who and I, I genuinely like him. I think for a while I I feel he was somewhat intellectually carrying the water for MAGA. I think he's gotten right on that when he was initially talking about election fraud. I remember saying Congressman, this is years ago. 
There's no evidence of that. But he kept trying to bring it up. And I just had to say, Congressman, you know, there's no evidence. And it, I have to say it, it bothered me because he's an elected representative who I would think is more on the line of the traditional conservative side of things. But even yeah. he started to see the power, if you want to say, or be afraid of the electorate, that that is that very powerful MAGA wing. And and sometimes that's tough because, you know, I don't want to go in again. I don't look to be adversarial. I, I'm looking for 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 conversation. I'm looking to to learn things and get to the next level. But in this era, it is it is very difficult, depending on who your guest is, if they want to be open and talk about where they're coming from, their perspective, or like I said, trying to express to listeners, look, man, we're just getting quality information out there. If you don't like it, it makes you uncomfortable. I'm sorry, but it's not our job to make you feel comfortable or feel good about it. We're just trying to report the information as we have it. So anyways, I probably went a stream of consciousness there, but all those things go. So Jordan, oh, let, let me hit him with a couple of radio questions. Like what, what, what if, what about guest selection? What if Jenna Ellis wants to come on? I mean, is it? I, I mean, I'd, I'd probably have her on. I'm just wondering, you know, if if the Trump team puts somebody out there, and I'm glad you bring up Ken Buck because I played a lot of basketball against him, Lawyers League, and he was sort of a dirty player, but I got along with him okay. <laughs> I got I got along with him, but but really, I, I a few elbows here and there. Yes, but but honestly, I I think what he did in the wake of the insurrection was unforgivable. Because on January 6th, he voted the wrong way. And then he signed on to that Ken Paxton brief. And Ken's got to be smarter than that. And thank God he's standing Mm -hmm. up to Marjorie Taylor Greene a little bit now. So I'm just wondering about guests. And another way you could go, you know, between your commercials, I watch Morning Joe. Because there's a former Mm -hmm. Republican who, you know, brings up Trump all the time to belittle him and to say, Look at this bullshit he said last night. Have you ever thought about doing that on KOA? Trump made a horribly wacky speech in South Dakota. Here are five demonstrable lies. I mean, well, we we'll we'll cover the speech. We maybe play a, a clip of it and then we and then we move on. I mean, if there's if there's a deeper dive on some specifics, then we may. We may, you know, say, well, here's where this isn't accurate or because we've sometimes done that, like, for example, post debates with candidates saying, well, candidate X brought this up. But, you know, the facts belie this saying, well, uh, whatever it is, I don't know, you can say uh, gas production in Colorado is down 40 percent. And again, I'm just pulling stuff out of the air that I don't even know is true. But if it's not, then you point out and say, well, he's so and so said this, but here's where it's really not or whatever. You help mm-hmm. give it want to give facts. Or we don't you know, our program moves a little differently. Our 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 interview segments are only five minutes. Right. Sometimes that's better left to longer form discussions. But I mean, if things are really egregious, again, like we say, when when one example is when when they were talking about the the Dominion, which is based here in Colorado, and we just knew. And so we would say, well, there, you know, that is just not accurate or that's not true. There's no facts to back up. There's no evidence to back up the alleged claims with that. That's how we that's how we will we deal with that. If somebody says something and we're doing a news piece on it, we'll do that or we'll talk to an expert in the realm. Or if that person's on with us and they're saying that we'll push back and say, well, where's your evidence? I always say, well, Congressman, where's your evidence with this? And that's the chance to say, can you show me? Show me examples. And I mean, we had some of that with some of the school boards about how CRT was being taught. And we'd ask and say, well, what are your examples of that? And they were less than great. You give them a chance by saying, well, provide, you know, provide your homework. What's your homework? Right. Where's your proof of what you allege? And let them do that versus always having to 
to jab them or do it, you allow them to express it. And sometimes that's good enough. And that's the whole debate. Well, how much do you push back off? And do you right. question again? You, you, you just have to have an instinct saying, this has been fleshed out enough. They're not going to change their answer. Or the answer they gave is, okay, that reveals where they're getting their information from, or that reveals what they know or don't know on the subject. And then you let that lie there. Right. And, and, and the den- mm-hmm. I mean, we'd all agree that the big lie flows out of Colorado. Jordan listed off Joe Altman and I can name Randy Corcoran and Jen Ellis we've yeah. talked about, et cetera. But it's Dominion in Denver. And God bless you, Marty, to say there's no proof that Dominion did anything wrong. But what there is proof of is that Trump set up Dominion in Denver as the scapegoat for an election he knew he was going to lose. And he needed a scapegoat. And he found Eric Coomer's social media. And to me, that's the story. That shows there was no good faith the way that Dominion was targeted in Denver. That kind of brings us to this biggest lawsuit ever. It could be Anderson v. Griswold in my favorite building in all of Colorado, the city and county building. It's uh, where I practiced. Now that case is there, and it's a declaratory judgment. No need to worry about picking a jury or complicated motions hearings. This could move fast. Marty, have you picked up on Mm -hmm. what a big story this is? And uh, how are you guys covering the Trump trials? And can you believe it's right in our backyard? Well, we we talked to, and you may know him, Craig, but we talked to constitutional law professor Ian Farrell over at DU. He's a regular guest that we have on. Uh, and we talked to him about the 14th. And basically, I literally I said, Professor, take me to school, explain the 14th, give details on that and how it works and where it comes. And he gave that. He gave examples where it was used in the past a couple hundred years ago. And then, you know, we talked about the greater context because I, I think it was important for our listeners to understand, well, how did this even come about? And again, Craig, somebody I think you know, Jordan, I'm sure you are, you're well read. But this whole mm-hmm. thing about the 14th came from the Federalist Society, yes. who, by the way, mm-hmm. helped get you Colorado's own Neil Gortz to the Supreme Court, Gorsuch, yes. <laughs> them and yep. the so this. So what I see, the intrigue of this, it's going to be interesting if this gets to the Supreme Court, how this is going to go, because I don't have to tell you I'm beyond out of my depth on this. But that is originalism of the Constitution that many conservatives love and value, right? It's not a leaving gritting document, the Constitution. It's what it is, says in fact. Well, if that's the case, then if you believe it is such and even the federalist society there are two legal experts to say based on that and the 14th how they interpret it donald trump should not be on the ballot so i guess they came mm-hmm. to colorado first for a variety of reasons uh maybe they think because jenna griswold they have a friendly ally but that's not the only state they're doing it on but yes to your point we have we have covered that and we cover it by trying to get experts on to talk about the legalities the realities uh, you know, does this, you know, is it, and I, I hate to always look at everything through a political lens, but we do do that as well. How much is this legal? How much is political? What does this change? So yes, we have covered that. And we, we continue to cover it as, as new information comes in, or we get access to, to, to certain guests that have a depth of expertise on it. Jordan, how much of the big life flows <laughs> from Colorado in your judgment? Well, l- let me, let me go back just a little bit sure. here uh, to Marty's points, because he's got some excellent things. And then I'll get to that. But what I think that journalists and and Craig, you're already doing this by having both of us on and everything that you already do, which is the the future belongs to those who can filter. In a noisy world, finding the signal and all the noise is everything. And I think part of being a journalist or an attorney or 
anybody that's dealing with politics or the information realm, we have to filter the signal from the noise. So one of the things is I, I always have this saying that I came up with is the future belongs to those who can filter. And that's what Marty's trying to do. Who are your guests? Who are you bringing on? Who, what subjects are you talking about? You're actually filtering because you're trying to get at the truth. And so the signal is always the truth. And I have a, a, a journalist that works for the, the Tribune, and she signs her email saying, if one side says uh, it's raining and the other side says it's not raining, as a journalist, your job's not to say that the two sides disagreed. Your job's to stick your head out of the fucking window and see if it's raining. 100%. <laughs> right. It's not to accept what they're telling you. It's to go check it out for yourself. Yes. Yeah. And so the point is, is that I think that the truth is always what we're trying to shoot for here on all of that. But now getting back to Craig's question there, which is uh, the election lie really does uh, have a home here in Colorado. One of the reasons is Dominion, right? And they've already won an enormous lawsuit or I guess a settlement against Fox. But they're still fighting away. And so is the other election company called SmartTech. And we're not done here. I mean, Rudy Giuliani has got the Dominion on their rear end. There is going to be either judgments or settlements from the fallout from Dominion out of Colorado coming for years. And I think that's why we're seeing so many lawsuits and everything around the 14th and stuff here in Colorado. It's because Dominion, a high-tech firm, you know, moved into Colorado from its headquarters from Canada originally. Yes, and they did just settle Dominion with uh, OAN. In fact, that broke down yeah, on you Twitter. I yeah, was going to say Okay, right. all right. So, I, well, I, yeah, I, but, it was funny because I broke it on Twitter because I know the plaintiff's lawyers for Eric Coomer, and that's the big yeah. case pending in Denver District Court. And Mike Lindell exploded at his deposition, proving what uh, – White Christian nationalism is about for him. Everybody else is an asshole, including the lawyers. And I get a kick out of the fact that he sponsors some of these lawyers' shows. <laughs> anyway, um, th that's quite a litigation. And I provided an affidavit in that case because they're suing KNUS and Salem. And I know what was going on over there. And uh, I'll just supply the truth. And you two guys are so dedicated to the truth, but I'm worried that other people aren't. You know, you're talking about the courts and the Federalist Society. There's a big story in Politico over the weekend, which Heidi Prisbala wrote it, and it, it traces how from Citizens United, a just an enormous amount of money was funneled through the Federalist Society to something called the Judicial Education Fund. It was financing Jenny Thomas. And it's just showing further signs that our U.S. Supreme Court is corrupt. And I worry that a lot of journalists are bought off. But one guy I'm not worried about is Kyle Clark. And it already came up in the context of mm -hmm. that Jimmy Graham interview. Kyle Clark is brave, exposing the likes of Joe Oltman. I don't know if you talk about Oltman on your show, Marty, but it seems to me that guys like Brockler and Kaplis, they're afraid to talk about him because he's kind of a scary guy. And so is that Jimmy Graham. Every time they talk, it's kind of menacing. They're associated with gun stores and militias. And uh, I, I think Kyle Clark shows considerable bravery in naming names and getting to the bottom of this story. 
I'll turn it over to you, Marty. Well, you know, I watched the interview and a couple of things struck me about that. And and one is is when how Graham or, or at least it was interesting because I don't know if honestly, I don't know if Kyle misunderstood, but when Graham kind of what I got took the offense when I think it was Sheriff Wheatley said, well, his organization, uh, you know, they're a well-regulated militia. My first thought was that's classic, clear Second Amendment, if you want to say language. But between the two of them, they weren't sure, again, was that used as a compliment or a pejorative? Was there a negative connotation with that saying, well, they're a well-regulated militia, so we have to be worried about them? No, they're a well-regulated militia, which means they're within their constitutional rights. I, I found that I found that really kind of interesting how they both talked about and sort of debated the merits, the merits of that. And, and as I said before, I don't look, I I don't have enough understanding and knowledge of guns. I am not a gun owner. Um, I don't I personally don't feel the need to own a gun. That's just me. But just because I feel that way, I'm not I'm not looking to abridge anybody else's rights in doing it. My my thought, though, is with some of these organizations and groups, they may sound like they feel they're doing the right thing. But to the point we've been talking about, there's this there's this thing where there are these these groups. And I don't I don't want to put the able people. I don't want to equate them with the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys. That's that's heavy handed. I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But there is that twinge of of that where where they think they're doing it because there's some civil war coming. And it makes me. It does make me a little nervous to think, well, what are you so what are you worried about? What are you concerned about? What are you seeing? What information are you feel like you're internalizing so much that you see this coming? And again, I referenced Tom Nichols earlier. He said part of the reason that he feels that we're in this current thing that's going on is because we become in a sense, and these are my words, kind of fat and happy, and we're living a prosperous life and people are bored and they're bored. And so they're trying to find excitement or something special or think they're of some big special mission because they feel they're not getting what they deserve or they've they've lost the knowledge that being a good person, a good American, a good patriot is going to work every day and just working and coming home and being with their kids, that they feel that they've lost the mission of what it means to be good, that they feel their life doesn't have a purpose. So they create some sort of purpose with these things. And I'm not saying these people don't genuinely feel it, but I do wonder how much they get caught up in it because they do look and think, wow, we haven't had wars. There is prosperity, but I keep getting told that it's this and it's that and everybody's against us and I should be getting more in life. I do wonder if there's a deeper psychology going on with that. And I just I look at it in the abstract and say it does worry me. A little bit. And I, I don't I try not to judge or be critical of them, but that's kind of through the eye that I see them saying, why do you feel the need that we need to have this operation? Are you saying law enforcement's not doing enough? And I think to some degree, uh, Graham talked about the, the negative issues with law enforcement. And I thought, well, there's maybe some truth there. Then I also thought to myself, well, how much of that does to some degree law enforcement bring upon themselves? Are they sometimes their own worst enemy with situations? And, you know, has that been contemplated possibly? with with his thought process and doing that so mm-hmm. some of those things some of those things it just makes me there it makes me concerned that people feel there needs to be a need to have these or have this organization that, that's the thing that i left with saying what is it that you see somehow on this great mission of things in life that you feel the need to have this that something's coming or we're on to your point jordan are we you know they may not call it end of days but feel the sense that there's some great awakening or something happening like that Mm-hmm. Well, and then it builds on top of there's a great book out there that was written. She did the research. It's called The Politics of Resentment. And I've had to go over it again, even before this interview, just because it's such a good one. Uh, Catherine uh, Kramer uh, out of Wisconsin. And the thing is, is that she did a lot of interviews, these coffee conversations 
back in 2007. So then you had the financial crash and then you had Obama um, in rural Wisconsin. And it's a very unjudgmental book. It's a fantastic book. I I highly recommend it. Uh, And what I mean by that is, is that here in Custer County, there is this politics of resentment. It was part of my editorial this last week in the Tribune, which is there are people that are feeling left behind. They're feeling um, a lot of different things, and those feelings aren't necessarily illegitimate. They, they, they're there. Envy is a huge part of uh, the human nature. But the problem is, is that you can get people like Trump or other politicians. The politics of resentment, the book, is talking about the rise of Scott Walker, which is part of the Tea Party movement in Wisconsin back in uh, you know, the, the, the tens of the 2000s. And so you could take these very legitimate feelings that people in rural areas, often with a very Protestant background, feel, and then they bring them forward. And then you, you, then you get people like Trump or this guy that Kyle Clark's talking to, where all of a sudden they start going to the next step. And, and let's just be clear about something. Um, what was that guy that Kyle Clark was talking to? I can't remember. Jimmy name, Graham. But Jimmy Graham. Yeah. From from Jimmy the Graham. from so, the company Abel Shepherd, they supply security, right. or they did. Well, let, let me just but back he, up. He's, to, he's uh, a dime a dozen. Right, he's right, a right. But dozen. let me just. I've got guns. It, it, yeah, it, go right, but it occurs to me the audience might not know the story. So, uh, Jimmy Graham is a tough-looking guy. He's ex-military. Mm-hmm. He talks with an attitude. He wears. I don't know. He he just has that military presence. God bless him. I want to be a tough guy too. But he talks about (laughs) firearms and he has a group of about 75 guys who showed up at the Douglas County Pride Festival and they wore t-shirts saying, stand up for your kids. And before the drag show could be presented, they blocked it for about 45 minutes. Nobody really knew what to do. Eventually they Mm -hmm. dispersed. Thank God there wasn't any violence. But there have been repercussions. Some Arapahoe County sheriffs won't work with them anymore. And Jeffco said no. Douglas County's backpedaling. And Jimmy Graham had to do an interview with Kyle Clark. Kyle Clark had him on and asked tough questions for 20 minutes. Didn't play it all on his show. They're restricted on time. But I admire Kyle for that kind of interview. So back to you, Jordan, just yeah. so people know what, well, and- what was going on. No, that's a good good background with Jimmy, but he's he's everything I have to face here. You know, maybe he's got a little limelight here or nefarious limelight, but he's everybody that I've had to deal with. And in in, in, in rural Colorado, in Custer County. Yeah, right. in rural yeah, in, in Custer County. But you have to remember that this politics of resentment is extremely powerful to tap into. And there's an underlying belief that uh, you know, they believe that freedom, if you got rid of all government, um, that freedom would be a natural condition after that. And one of the things that bothers me is is that our liberties, I don't like to use the word freedom because we're not free. I'm not allowed to do anything to my neighbor that I want to. We have a certain amount of restraint, and that's why we have the word liberty in this case. But liberty only exists in this happy medium between anarchy and tyranny. And that's why our institutions are so important. And that's why I've always admired you, Craig, in the sense that the courts, there's an old, there's a joke that I've heard. I don't know if you've heard it, Craig, but we're better off complaining about attorneys than not having them. 
Right, but think of some of the lousy attorneys who are out there right now. And uh, but still, we're we're yeah. better off having a court system, yes. however imperfect it is. Yes. Um, rather than all of us going out and shooting each other. Right. We need attorneys to save us now, like Jack Smith and uh, Bonnie Willis. <laughs> but my point is, is that we're all we're only as good as our institutions as a civilization. And people like Jimmy have this very deranged belief that goes back a long time, maybe to the French Revolution, maybe to John Locke, maybe to Thomas Paine. We have some, again, American history is entwined with these ideals that if government was gone, we would enter a natural state of freedom and liberty. And that's just not how it is. If you have no government, you have no rules, then you are going to have a strong man that takes over. And that's what makes me a very conservative person, which is I think we're only as good as our institutions are. And in the United States, our institutions go way back past the United States. We basically have the English system. You know, we picked it up in common law. Our revolution wasn't really a revolution. It was a civil war between us and England. We didn't try to topple English common law. We didn't try to topple English traditions. But we're talking about 1500s. Our system of government has been going on in the United States for almost 600 years. Now. Right. Rule of law and all and that. Pro- yeah. Yeah. And so the problem is, is that a lot of these gun toters and stuff are, have this mistaken belief, just like the Jacobins in revolutionary France or the Bolsheviks uh, in Russia. They have this belief that if you got rid of the government, then we would all just have equal freedom and we could, you know, uh, run around with our hands out in the fields. Uh, sniffing flowers. It's not true. Jordan Hedberg, you read a lot of books out in Westcliff. There's one immutable rule that I know from my days <laughs> in radio, which is there's a clock. And oh my God, Marty lends kids up to give us the news at 5 a.m. <laughs> so I'm going to give him the final word, but I want to switch it to a bad lawyer. And you know, when Dan Kaplis and I broadcast from the White House, then we went to the Trump International. Who was there? Boris Epstein was one of the guys hanging out. I recognized him, and now he's one of the unnamed co-conspirators down in, uh, uh, or in Jack Smith's thing. And it turns out mm-hmm. that the, the special grand jury in Atlanta wanted him indicted as well. But Boris Epstein, not just being a lawyer, if you recall, Marty, he was put in charge of Sinclair Broadcasting because part of the yep. MAGA movement was to take over the broadcasting world. And I think they've kind of succeeded. God bless you, but I hear one conservative host after another, even after Rush Limbaugh's gone, and uh, the market's just kind of been surrendered. And then there are podcasts, and I compete, and thank God for my great sponsors, and I get my word out through my Colorado Sun column, through this, great guests like you. But holy cow, Steve Bannon is putting out so many podcasts every day and other people like him. It's an information war. Alex Jones, I mean, what a horrible person. Anyway, I throw it to you before you go to bed. What about broadcasting? (laughs) What about, uh, you know, Sinclair broadcasting, that sort of thing? Do you feel that's a danger to your radio profession? 
Well, I liked I liked uh, I liked Juan Epstein better, but I liked Welcome Back, Connor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, signed Epstein's mother. Well, I mean, in part part of what if you remember what Sinclair did, do you remember that message they put out about two three years ago, where it was the same message? They take their hosts from all their different markets and put out a same message about how you're consuming and listening to media. And the irony with that is a lot of a lot of people consider us, oh, look at the liberals putting out this message. And I remember thinking, no, this is actually done by Sinclair. They are known to be a conservative outlet owned by conservative owners. And so the message that they were trying to get out to somehow, you know, take us to task somehow, I think, backfired about how they perceive. I mean, yeah, look, they're trying to gin up the thing. They're trying to play the game. But this is where the problem is, is I serve a little bit of a different master than you say a talk show host, or at least I want to and feel like I do. I serve to get the truth out, the truth, the facts, the information as we know it, and then update it as we get more. But I choose that's the that's that's the prime directive, if you will, as Captain Kirk would say in Star Trek. That's the prime mm-hmm. directive. If I get ratings with doing that, then wonderful. That's a bonus. My job is not, I mean, I want to get ratings, but at the same time, I, I don't I don't want to patronize for success. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to pat people on the head and say, well, I'm going to make you feel good. So come listen about this. I'm going to give you the the honest truth as we know it. And again, as things come in, we update and we change and update and give you more factual information as we get it, as it's reported to us, as we cover it. And then you'll stay with us to know how do you feel about things? You know that we're honest brokers in the process where a lot of the times the setup is this. Just come to me because I'm going to patronize you. I'm going to placate how you feel the truth, the facts, the realities be damned. Just come here and feel good for two, three, four hours, and then we'll send you on your way. So I serve a little bit of different master than, say, some of the talk show hosts. At least I feel I do. Our job is to, of course, get ratings so we can sell and have success. But I figure my best way of getting ratings is by being honest and being genuine. And I don't want to say that that other talk show hosts aren't that way, but I'm saying I, I do sometimes think that they figure, well, I'm just going to try to make a segment of the audience feel good because they'll reward me for that. And you see that all the time in social media. They reward you for taking a stance that you know in the scheme of things is not true or less than honest, but you get rewarded for it by clicks and by likes and everything else. That's how they get that. I I don't feel that's not my job. My job is to be honest and truthful. And I got to say, for many years with Colorado's Morning News, it seemed to have worked because I think we get on there. And we all come from different worlds, different views, everything else. But we report the news as straightforward and as factual as possible, you know, as we have it. And we are not afraid to call balls and strikes. And that's the thing. Sometimes you got to call people out and say, well, you're, you're wrong on this. Or the evidence says that's not the case. And, 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 and share that and reveal that to people. And then people got to decide for themselves. That's where I get concerned about it because, and I'm going to say this all the time and I'll, I'll leave you with this. We got to get that out of this idea. Mainstream media, I know it's used as a pejorative, but I'm going to say this too. Mainstream media is not cable news. I'm sorry. It's not CNN, MSNBC, CNBC, Fox, OAN, Newsmax. And those are obvious. That's not mainstream media. Mainstream media is the traditional three, ABC, CBS, mm-hmm. NBC. I know people don't like it, but the re- you know paper of record. You can argue with the editorial board, but the New York Times, the the, the Wall Street Journal, the the Washington Post, 
those papers, whatever bank you feel they have, are more honest bro brokers, and I would call more mainstream media. That's mainstream media. I'd like to think what I do is mainstream media. You go to these fringe, these podcasts, present company accepted. Um, they're not. It's not mainstream media. I mean, obviously, but but people people seek out. You know, you've heard the term confirmation bias. People want to seek out what they think they already know, and they want to have it reinforced. It's very rare that the person wants to have their strongly held beliefs challenged. And I always encourage you to have it, even if I have strong beliefs to say, you know, I need to check and see if what I'm thinking or feeling is right. Or I, when we get guests on, I'll, I maybe will say, hey, I say this. I said, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm wrong with this or explain to me because I understand it this way. Tell me where I'm not understanding it. And you got to put yourself out there and willing to say, I can be wrong in this. Tell me how I am and, and allow people to explain it to you. But we have to train people to say, if you're getting your news from cable news, you're doing it wrong. You just are. I try not to watch cable news. I try to avoid it. So, Well, and Marty, I'm going to just give you a, a word of encouragement, which is I've seen it shift. I think yeah. people are sick of the Alec Jones types. I think they're sick of the Tucker Carlton. That does work for a short amount of time. But what people really want at the end of the day is they want some information that's accurate. And that's yep. the whole point about filtering is we're out here to find the truth. And so I think people like you, I think Kyle Clark, uh, even this podcast, Craig, I think this is a really good way that we could start getting through all of the noise and bullshit in the world and hitting back. And, you know, even in a place like Custer County, where, you know, 70 percent voted for Trump in the last election, I've seen that split happen. I've seen people say the majority actually say we just want to know what's going on. We want to know it was truth. And we're tired of all of the nonsense that's out there. So you keep doing what you're doing, because I think now is the time to do it. People are sick of the other the other stuff. Right. And I think it's a good time to cover the cases of the century. And I'm open for that. You guys were so terrific. And speaking about learning stuff, I already knew that I liked Marty Lenz from listening to him and observing him on social media. But I really like you now, Marty. I respect you greatly. Thank you you I are really like now. <laughs> all right. And, and uh, Jordan, I already knew that I like you. And we'll all get together. Thanks, fellas, for uh, doing this. Really appreciate it. And I think we had the best Broncos and Buffs analysis going, don't you? Well, we both sure. play college balls, for sure. Yeah, we yeah. everything. <laughs> That's right. Way to well, go, Craig, guys. It was, it, was, it was an honor to be on with you. Thanks for thinking me. And Jordan, it was good to nice to know you. Thank you. I, it was nice to be on with you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, fellas. Take care. Bye now. Thanks. Craig's Colorado Corner is made possible by the sponsorship of Michael Bailey Law Offices. Michael Bailey is my lawyer. He's the best estate planning lawyer. He can come to you or you can go to one of his several Metro Denver offices. The number to call 720-797-8988, 720-797-8988. He will get the job done. He also wants to support a show like this. Thank you, Michael Bailey. If you want to be a sponsor, let me know. I'm easy to find. I'm Craig at CraigAsColoradoLaw.com. Craig at CraigsColoradoLaw.com. Hey, didn't I tell you that would be great? My goodness. To have Jordan Hedberg and Marty Lenz engaged in that kind of high-level conversation is a compliment to me and a compliment to you. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend, subscribe, share, five stars would be awfully nice. 
on Apple, on Spotify, even on YouTube. See what you can do. Thanks for listening. Until Saturday, have a great week. That's the show. We hope you liked it. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Leave a five-star review. Thanks for listening.